All right, let's uh, go to Galatians chapter 2. It's in you version. It's in um, your digital Bible. And, and it's not the word of man, it's the word of God. So starting with verse 6. Now from those recognized as important, what they once were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. Since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship of the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. When James, Cephas, and John, those recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. One of my best friends who's a pastor invited me to um, go to Top Golf, and he was accumulating a group of pastors who were, who were lonely. There's, there's, there's a big issue with clergy being lonely. I'm not one of those people. I just want to put the word out there. I'm not necessarily lonely. I don't mind making new friends. I just don't, you always need more friends, but you, you get where I'm going there. So he, he invited me a second time. I said, okay, I'll go out of respect for you. Now, Top Golf is, is a great establishment, but you drive downtown, you know, from the north side of town and, and this beautiful world-class skyline, you have to look through a big old net to see it now because of Top Golf. But anyway, we, should, we go to go, Top Golf and there's uh, these other guys, pastors that are there. It looked like, like a fifth grade birthday party. I'm like, where's everybody's moms, you know? Sherry, are you in the parking lot to pick me up after I'm done here? Sherry's my mom, by the way. And so I'm like, okay, cool. So I I see these guys, and and I don't know most of them, getting to know them. And I thought, okay, I have not swung a golf club in like 12 years. I remember when I became a senior pastor, I felt like I had to play golf, so I took some lessons. I was no good, guys, no good. And, and I, I plan to get back into golf after I get my kids through college, so I've got a few years before that starts. There's a few of these guys, most of them were younger than me, and so they're, they're playing golf. I'm like, I can hang with the youngsters here. They started, they started hitting these golf balls, and guys, they didn't just hit them, they launched them. I mean, it was like a, a missile going up to space. I mean, it just took off like 300 yards. So me as God's man of confidence, power, and faith. I faked an injury, man. I'm like, no, I can't play today. <laughs> I said, let, let me just sit here. I'll be, I'll be the guy that eats the nachos and chicken wings while you guys do something athletic. Uh, yeah, I just, I just knew what was going to happen. I knew that I would get up there and I wouldn't hit it very far. And then they would come up and they would tell me, keep your head down, keep your shoulder down. Then they'd start teaching me. And then when I didn't hit it far again, they'd start laughing at me and then I'd be the joke. So I didn't have the confidence to, to, to step into it. I just let them do it. You know, it, this, this happens a lot in life. How many opportunities do we have in life that we just shrink back from because of intimidation? And, and we say, you know, God's given us this opportunity. And, and I'm talking about something better than an afternoon of top golf. I'm talking about something that he's given you a chance to experiment in and to try and to step into. But because of comparison or because of intimidation, you know, we don't step in to what God has for us. You know, we know this, that with God, there really isn't failure. The only failure is not trying. I mean, with God, that when you try something and, and it doesn't go like you want it to go, he redeems and he works all 
all things for the good, for those who trust him, for those who love him, those who are called according to his purposes. So even your mistakes, God uses. So if we look at it that way, we can be the most confident people in the world. We can just step in, we can experiment, we can try things out, we can take risks because God's gonna watch out for us. He's gonna look out for us. And Paul is a great example of this. I want you to see right away, Paul's a guy that was not intimidated. He didn't step down when his apostleship was called into question. So I'm gonna repeat some of the same things each week because we're going through a, a book of the Bible, verse by verse, and so the same theme is in every section of verses. And the theme here is this, is that Paul is defending his apostleship and he's saying, I'm a real apostle. And he's not doing that out of insecurity. He's saying, if, if I'm not an apostle, then the message I give is being undermined and I can't undermine the gospel. And so immediately he steps in and there's this tension that you'll continue to, to see. I've addressed this already, but let me remind you of the tension. Paul says, I don't care it's not that I don't care, it's I don't need the other apostles to affirm me because God called me, but the other apostles have affirmed me. Isn't that interesting? He just says, hey, my call's from God and I'm doing my thing and, and I don't have to have that verified, but it has been verified. And so that brought richness and depth and confidence in the people. So we say all of that is that I want to remind you that most of the people who, who read the New Testament were Jewish people, even Jewish people in other parts of the Roman Empire. And so there's this theme that continues, and it continues through all the writers. And here's the theme. Jesus is for everyone. Jesus doesn't show favoritism. The gospel's for all people. The gospel's not just for the Jews. It's for the Gentiles too. Here's my first kind of organization point today as I organize these five verses. It's this. Equal value. This is a theme that keeps coming up in scripture. It keeps coming up in Galatians. And it's the centerpiece of our faith is that Jesus is for all people, not for just one nation, not just for one ethnicity. He's not just for the rich. He's not just for the educated. He's not just for those with family connections. He's not just for those who are born in a certain part of the world. Jesus and the gospel and the good news is for the whole world and it's for every single person. And this gets reemphasized over and over and over again. We love the Jewish people and they are special, but they're not more valuable. They're just called differently. So it is that a great illustration for how we look at the Jewish people is if we looked at someone who was pregnant that was here in this service. They're not someone that is more important than anyone else, but they are treated with different care because they're more vulnerable. They're carrying another life. The Jewish people, we care for them and we're concerned for their welfare because they hold the promise of the Messiah and they have shared that promise not only to us in the present, but according to the book of Romans, into our future. Our future is very much connected with how God and what God does to the Jewish people. I say all of this to acknowledge that the Jewish people are important and Zionism is important, but simultaneously the message of the gospel keeps reiterating over and over again is that all people are equal under Jesus. Different calls were level, were equal under the cross of Jesus. There's no favoritism. There's equality in value. 
Every life matters to God. People matter to God. He does not see any person as dispensable. He doesn't see as any person as marginalized. Every person is in the center of his heart and the center of his will. Now, these scriptures come up a lot. I'm going to give you two samples today, two samples of, of these scriptures. I've preached on, on the sin of favoritism before because favoritism is a sin that we don't often judge ourselves on, but we often step into. Isn't it interesting how there's certain sins that we're like really aware of and those people over there out there but we are often blinded to the sin that not only do we accept, but we perpetuate in religious groups or in churches like this. So here's one example, Romans chapter two, verse 11. It's a short passage and we can preach, we've preached on this before, we will again. For there is no favoritism with God. That's just a statement right there, specifically pertaining to Jews and Gentiles. There's no favoritism with God. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, it takes off some pressure that we are all God's favorite. And so there's no favoritism with God. And then James, who you'll hear more about later on, the half-brother of Jesus, gave this very practical advice. He said, if, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So he's taking favoritism really, really uh, seriously here. And, and guys, whenever we're aware of sin, it's not now that we're, we're under the forgiveness of Jesus. That, that isn't meant to categorize us as bad people. It's, it's meant to just say, okay, God, let me repent. Take away that sin. Take away that tendency, that tendency to show favoritism. And, and I, I would just I would just encourage you, if this, if this is uh, piquing your interest, to study both of those passages contextually. Go back another time. I've, again, I've preached whole sermons on those before, and you can, you can find those online. As I have like 12 years of sermons uh, all online. I know you search those daily for wisdom, right? Hey, let me ask you this question. Here, here's a question that, that here in the Southeast and in Tennessee we could think about a lot. Why are there so many churches? So there, there are very, there's a very distinct reason for that. But I want to give you some theories on that. In fact, try this out. It's hard to be in Sumner County and not physically be able to see a church. I mean, even like in the outskirts of Bethpage, are there suburbs in Bethpage? I don't know, but there's country roads out and, and I drive down and I'm like, oh, there's a church out here. It's like just a church in the middle of nowhere. I don't know who goes to these churches, but there's churches everywhere. And thank God for that. That, that speaks to our heritage and, and there's some value to that. But all of these churches have different personalities and they have different emphasis and they have different callings and they have different gifts. So when you, when you look at John 17, for example, when Jesus said, I just pray that all of the believers are one father as you and I are one. There's this tendency to romanticize what that would look like. Like we, would, we could easily say, wouldn't it be great if we just closed down all the churches and we became one church? Well, here is a theory on that. That if we centralized all of the churches and put all of the power in one place, we would mess things up. We would. And here, here's an example of that to our friends, and they are friends, the Roman Catholic Church. All of that power is in one man in, one, in the Pope. And so if you got a good Pope, you've got good doctrine. If you got one who errs, then there's too much power there. And so the centralization of the church uh, actually 
tends to corrupt the church. So I, I want to give you a different angle on this, is that the fact that we are all of these different churches with all of these different flavors and all of these different emphasis may be part of our strength. Okay, let me just take it another, another reason why this is the case. This is going to be really deep, okay? You guys ready for some deep teaching, okay? There are many different churches. Hold on. Because there are many different kinds of people. That's deep stuff right there, isn't it? I mean, I can just tell you're impressed right now. In fact, I expected this. Mm, you know how that, if, if, if you hear really deep preaching, some churches have that, mm, this kind of thing. Okay, so yeah, with all of the different types of people there are in the world, and, and not just people, but cultures and subcultures, and, and we know this, is that Hendersonville is much different than Nashville. That's become very clear even in this year. And then further up north, as you get to Portland and, and, the, and you get to uh, Lafayette, those are different communities with different people who think differently. And within those communities, uh, individuals think differently. And so God keeps reproducing his church contextually, different personalities, different churches to reach different people. So I want you to purchase diversity, powers, okay? Get you at the coffee shop or something. I, I, uh, I do the work of an evangelist. The Bible says to do that. I, I spent time Friday coming up with an evangelistic plan for our church in 2021. Spent some time to, to do that. But my natural sweet spot is not necessarily evangelism. Um, in fact, I've come up with some evangelistic events that like we tried here on a Sunday morning that just didn't really pop. I mean, they just, they just didn't really go. It didn't feel like us. It didn't feel like us. Like we had like this outdoor barbecue kind of thing, which we should do that again. I'm not saying we can't do that. But I said, let's everyone wear like football jerseys that Sunday as if, as if, as if we lift up the game of football, Jesus will be exalted or something. And uh, I, I had this... Um, I had some kind of jersey type thing. I didn't feel really great about wearing it, but I wanted to be a team person. I met a visitor and she said, you're the pastor and you're wearing a jersey. And I just, I just, it just didn't fit me. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I'm sure there's guys with churches 20 times bigger than our church who, you know, who are wearing a Chicago Bears jersey at church today or whatever the case is. But it just didn't feel like me. It didn't feel right. That was part of my experimental time in ministry. So I, I am called, like, I'm a, I'm a shepherd. I'm, I'm a pastor. I do better in discipleship-type environments and helping people find their next step with God. I still do the work of the evangelist, but I always grew up in church. And, yeah, and even though I've, I've done plenty of sin, I never had a time in my life where I had, like, a, a big rebellious time. I, you know, I was always right there with the Lord. So I, I, I just know church culture. I know church people. I'm ready to go with that. So I'm just letting you know that's part of my call. Some of my colleagues who who like came out of drugs and you know, you know, they left the rock and roll platform and the next thing they know they were, they were speaking to thousands. They could preach on the book of Leviticus and like hundreds of people get saved. You know, I had the most carefully crafted evangelical service and it just does okay. But that's okay. I'm okay with who I am. And I'm telling you this because I want you to find your sweet spot in the Lord and not think you should be someone else. Not that you would use it as an excuse to be slothful in another area, but to see God's great variety that he's called you to do something that you can do and you are hitting your sweet spot. And here's the deal. If there's something you love to do for the Lord, 
And if you're fruitful in it, you're probably called to it. It's not that, it's not that hard. So you experiment, you try things out. And if you're good at something, then, and you're fruitful at it, that's probably your call. Now, let's go back to the scripture here. Verse seven, remember he had said, okay, I, I'm kind of, I didn't, don't need those guys call. But on the contrary, verse seven, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. So he's saying, guys, I didn't have, I didn't have to have those apostles tell me what to do, but they saw me doing the work and they saw that Paul, I reached the uncircumcised and Peter reached the circumcised. This is speaking to our specific assignment in the Lord. What we've been called to do, what we're good at and what we're fruitful at. You're gonna hear in a couple of weeks, there's this couple in our church. Um, they're named Michael and Sonnet Pentecost. And, and these guys are like outreach warriors. Let me tell you what they do. They've done for probably eight years now through our church, and they did it years before that just on their own. An outreach to the underprivileged on Christmas morning. Can I tell you that if God told me, Aaron, I want you to organize an outreach to the homeless, first of all, that would be really tough on me. Not because I don't believe in the homeless and not because I'm not compassionate. It, it just, that sounds like really hard for me. And second, if he did it and he called me to do it on Christmas morning, a homeless outreach on Christmas morning is like my Nineveh, <laughs> where Jonah said, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm like, that doesn't interest me at all. I'll do it the morning before, I'll do it the morning after, but not on Christmas morning. Sonnet and Michael and their team, they just do it. It's, not, it's like they're not even trying, man. They just, they just do it. It just flows out of them. So that's what they're called to do. Now I have the gift. I hope you think it's a gift. You may not like my preaching, but if you happen to like my preaching, I've been preaching now for uh, 31 years. And, and a, a lot of those, I've lost count of how many, how, how long I've been doing this. And so I could say, well, a couple thousand times I've preached probably if I did the math. I can count on one hand how many times I've ever been nervous. And of those times, like, you know, let's say there's four or five times I've been nervous. Like I taught myself out of it really quick. Now I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just letting you know that. Give me a microphone, give me a Bible, I'm ready to go. I mean, I'm just ready to go. It just isn't hard. It just, it just, it just, it, it just happens. It, it happens, I prepare, I go, let's do it again. I could do a third service, no problem, no problem. Anybody wants to stay here, let's start a 1230 service, let's go. I mean, it's no big deal. I did Thursday, Thursday service, three services, four services, whatever the case is, that's part of my gifting, okay? Michael and Sonnet have a gifting to do outreach. Chip and Gala, the stuff they do, the Thanksgiving blessing, the back to school, they just do their thing. And I just want you to know, don't belittle what you do. Some of you can open up your home and you can provide a party or you can provide a meal and it can just make people feel at home. And that is a spiritual gift of hospitality. That is of the Lord. The Lord wants you to know that is of him. And so you find that sweet spot and you just say, that's what I'm gonna do. And Paul was here, he was saying, I'm called to the uncircumcised and Peter's called to the circumcised. 
And I, I want to encourage you to experiment. It's okay to experiment. It's okay to try things out and say, okay, that feels right. That feels good. But get in the game and find your sweet spot with God and look and see what he does with you. You see, when we begin to recognize that what happens is gifting. Aubrey, I've heard him lead worship for a long time and, and he, just, he just rolls in. I mean, I've seen him roll off his farm and roll in here with his, you know, his muddy boots and just grab a guitar and go. It's like anointed and here we go. It just isn't hard for him to do. But let me just tell you something. Aubrey shouldn't be idolized. Just because I can get up here and preach, I shouldn't be idolized. Not that I think there's any threat of that happening around here, but theoretically. (laughs) Because we have to celebrate all of the gifts God, God gives. Celebrate all of them because all they are are gifts. They're just, they're just gifts that we give back against. And biblical big difference between hero worship, which we have to push back against, and biblical honor. And you're about to see some biblical honor here in this passage. There's a di- big difference between idolizing spiritual leaders and acknowledging their unique role in the body of Christ. And, and it seems like it's one or the other. It's like people are like really like, almost worshiping spiritual leaders, or then people are like, I don't want to hear, I don't care what the pastor says, we're going to do what we want to, and, and uh, we, we just, we're going to be our own person. It's like, can we just find the middle here? Let's just find the middle somewhere where we don't idolize spiritual leaders, but we honor their unique call and role. And that goes for every sector of our church and everything in the kingdom of God. Because the Lord does use, and here's my third category today, proven leadership. And I keep going back to this tension because the book of the first two chapters of Galatians has that of minimizing, minimizing spiritual leaders, but then submitting to spiritual leaders. It's an interesting tension that I think we're all trying to live out too. And so again, verse six, just remind you where we are. You know, Paul said, guys, it didn't really matter what they did. God had called me. But now we're, we're down to, to verse nine and he says, says it this way, when James, Cephas, and John, Cephas is Peter, so James, Peter, and John, now look at this very important phrase for our talk today, those recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Let me talk about couple of these guys here. First of all, James, I already read you some of his writings earlier. James was the brother of Jesus. And he he was known as James the Just because he loved the Torah and he loved the law and he loved following the rules. And so the Jews that were in Jerusalem, they loved James and they looked to James as the, he was the leader, the apostle of the Jerusalem church. So you could just see there that he was even listed first in the scripture. So I want you to see, I'm gonna, I want you to see three categories here and you can go ahead and take the scripture down. For those who are watching online, they can see my face again. Um, uh, Jew about another, come, the heart to Paul's to circumcise, which I'm assuming is most of us watching or most of us enjoy, here enjoying the sermon. At least I hope you're enjoying the sermon. So that, that was a very subliminal control issue right there, wasn't it? So my, my point here is this, is that God used specific 
histories of these men and their own interests and their own ability and their own training and their specific calling to reach specific people. So I just want to encourage you today. You cannot do it all, okay? You can't follow every burden. You can't step in to every calling through experiment and the leadership of the Spirit and the fruitfulness of your ministry. Step in to the things that God has called you to. So I, for one, I don't have interest in organizing a ministry to the underprivileged. But guess what? Chip and Gayla do. So I remember taking you guys 10 years ago to the China Buffet down the street. I haven't been there in 10 years to the glory of God. Yeah. <laughs> but these are Salvation Army people. They, they work for the Salvation Army. And I'm like, come on, help us with outreaches. Come on, I'm gonna ride their coattails. All right, I'm gonna ride their coattails. Obviously, I can't sing like Aubrey. I can't sing like Beth or Rob or Penny or any of our worship leaders. I can't sing like them through a microphone. But I can ride their anointing. And so it is with you guys. I think about what you guys do with Awana, our 242 leaders. I thank God for Deanna's over decade-long ministry, not just to the nursery-age children of our church, to the families of the nursery age children of our church. And she, it's like art, the way she ministers to those little kids and their families. And, and I'm saying this, I'm not here to talk about us. I'm here to talk about you. What can you do? What are you good at? What are you fruitful at? What are you called to? So let's step into it. Let's step into the calling to strengthen the church. I wanted to give you, I want us to look very quickly back to that slide about the pillars of the church. Look at that scripture there. It said that in verse nine, James, Cephas, and John, those recognized as pillars. Time uses me in a prophetic gift. I I feel like that when I'm walking close with the Lord, he often uses me in a prophetic gift. And so I'm, and, and most prophetic gifts are just repeating scripture that is timely and good. So I'm praying for these guys. And I said, man, God has made you a pillar in the house of God. And they're like, yes, that's good. And I'm sitting there, my natural mind's thinking, why in the world did I say pillar in the house of God? Because I wasn't aware of the scripture. I was like, what in the world? But it felt good. And I, I, I spoke in that you're going to be strong. You're going to be stable. You're going to hold up things. And they were agreeing with me. Well, later on, I look in the concordance of the Bible and I came to the scripture in verse nine. So what this tells me, and this is just a little, a little insight here, is through regular Bible reading, we digest these phrases and these words and we digest the scripture and then the Holy Spirit uh, takes this language that we don't even remember in the natural mind and we speak God's word over people because this is us being an instrument of God's, of God's word and the sword of the word of the God penetrating people's hearts. And that wasn't just like a prayer, like, Lord, bless these men and just be with them, Lord. I was like, I felt... I felt Holy Spirit energy saying, you're pillars in the house of God. I'm like, why did I say that? Pillars. I've never used that phrase ever before in my life, but it was in the scripture. I want now to challenge you. I gave you that illustration just to open your heart and mind maybe to to that type of prayer. But I want to challenge all of you to be a pillar in the church. Sisters, be a pillar in the church. It's not a male-driven Um, illustration here at all. Peter, Cephas, James, 
John, Paul, strength, stability, Eunice, Lois. These are, these are, read the New Testament. There are many, many female names. Aquila of people leading in the church. Pillars in the church. They're, they're pillars who bring strength and bring stability. Be someone God can use to build a beautiful church. A few years ago, actually it was a long time ago, it was 14 years ago, we did a mission trip to, to New York City um, during the church plant before we came here. It was a good trip, and on that trip we, um, we ministered to the underprivileged, and we, nice time her name because I'm about to criticize her, because she just made the trip miserable, because she was always saying, you know, after we would, you know, feed the homeless, or she's like, well, that was good, but what is the outcome? And I would say, listen, whatever your name is, she's forgotten now. I'm still here. I'm still preaching God's word, and she's forgotten somewhere. But I, I've told this sister in Christ, I said, Jesus called us to go to the poor and go to the marginalized and to give them a cup of water in his name. We don't do it for the outcome. We don't do it for the outcome. We do it out of obedience. So here's my last point today from the scripture, a continual focus. And in this case, parenthetically, we put on the poor. Because whenever there's a dramatic change in an organization, you got to remember the core values. And so here, we saw this in Acts 15 in the Jerusalem Council, and we see it here today, that he's saying, he's saying, okay, we're making this, this monumental change. Gentiles are fully in the kingdom, but don't forget the poor. Look at verse 10. They asked only, we would remember the poor which I had made every effort to do. We know from the book of Acts that a collection was made for the church of Jerusalem. So guys, I want you to realize this. We don't reach out to what we now call underprivileged or marginalized or people in need because we're trying to get an outcome. We do it out of obedience. And there's a story in the New Testament when uh, Mary, Mary Magdalene, she, she took perfume that was expensive and she poured it on Jesus' feet and she was criticized for that. Now go all the way to verse 11 for the sake of time we're doing this. And Jesus said this in response to her lavish love. He said, you've always had the poor with you. You always have the poor with you. You don't always have me. There's a lot going on in the story, but, but one of the things that I want us to be honest about, 2,000 years ago, Jesus said that. And I want to remind you that 2,000 years from now, if he doesn't come back and set up his reign, there's still going to be people in need. There's still going to be people marginalized. There's still going to be people in our society who are overlooked. There are still some people who need a helping hand and they need a tangible touch. And guys, that is what we're called to do. We're called to engage in this type of work. And we need to engage in this type of work, not for self-fulfillment. You see, that's a big temptation we have because now helping the community and helping those who are, are hurting um, has kind of become a something we can put on our resume. I mean, it's something to put on your college application or something to slip into the interview. So a lot of times we want to help people, not to get them the help, but to be known as the person who helped people. Do you see the subtle difference there? And we all are tempted to do it, but we have to say, no, it is not for our glory. And it's not for the name of a church like CIL or first this or second that, our community church. It's about 
actually getting people help. And that's why James says it this way in chapter two, verse five. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? So we, we engage with ministry to the marginalized and those underprivileged, not because it's a trend, not because it's a chance for a social media post, not because we're trying to help ourselves psychologically or give ourselves an emotional lift. We do so because the kingdom of God is there. The kingdom of God is with the suffering. The kingdom of God is with those who don't have enough. The kingdom of God are for those who are waiting on God for the next day. And those of us with options and advantages, we have to continue to find the kingdom of God in our brothers and sisters who are are hurting. And that's why we'll continue to have a focus on the poor. I want us to stand together as we allow the Lord to minister to us in this closing minute, because this is what I believe the Lord's saying. I know we covered a lot. We only, we only talked about five verses today, but we talked a lot about a lot of themes, but, but this is what the Lord's stirring in some of you today. This may not be for all. I, I talked about a specific calling, a specific a place, a specific sweet spot, something you're good at. And some of you, God has specifically called you to work with a group of people who is overlooked. It may be disabled children. Guys, and and guys, it's not just about disabled children. It's their parents. It's their siblings. And and guys, we, we need to live sacrificially to help those who are disabled. We can't overlook the nursing homes. We can't overlook those who are dealing with dementia. We can't overlook the lonely who are shut in. I'm speaking vision to you. I'm speaking vision because I can't do those things, but some, all those things, I'll, I'll help. I'll ride your coattails. I'll participate. But God has put inside of you a fire for foster kids. He's put inside of you a fire for prisoners. He has put inside of you a fire for the illiterate, knowing that those who don't know how to read or those who don't know how to comprehend education have so many challenges in the decades to come. And that fire is yours to step into. That calling is yours to step into. And he knows we are a body and we are a church. But just as he called James to Jerusalem, and just as he called Peter to the cities of the Roman, the Jews of the Roman world, and just as he called Paul to the uncircumcised Gentiles to bring him in the kingdom, he has something specific for you. And I pray that this day that you are stirred. I believe that this this isn't another teaching. This isn't just another sermon. This is not another Sunday. This is a defining point for some people to step into the calling of God for their life. And so I'm excited to see that in you. I'm going to bring us to a benediction today so we can go about the things we need to do. But at the conclusion of my benediction, Pastor Aubrey will continue to lead us in worship. And we'll consecrate these uh, elements. If you took uh, the little package with the bread in the cup, you can take those on your own and, and we'll pray for those momentarily. I wanna invite you to pray a prayer of confession to the triune God. And, and actually, I hope this prayer even means more because it's not just saying, forgive me my sins, Lord, though it says that, it says that. But it's saying, Lord Jesus Christ, set up your kingdom in our bits. Come on, Lord, come on. Touch the needs of the world through us. Let's not just live our lives busy 
business as usual, just taking up space and breathing up air until we die. Set up your kingdom, Lord, on this earth. Set up, God, a colony of heaven through us. And so when we say these words of confession, we are aligning ourselves with the character and the heart of God. And so I pray that it means to you what it means to me. If you if you'd like, you can join me in this prayer. Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, renew me and all of the world. Oh, we're calling upon Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to do his work, to set up his kingdom. So God, Lord, we do pray for the bread and the cup. We consecrate it to the Lord. We pray that the presence of Jesus would be in the bread and cup for those who choose to partake of that today. Father, I thank you that the word of God has challenged us. It's been like a sword dividing what's right and wrong, God. The cutting away things that don't belong, cutting away thoughts and attitudes that aren't of you. And I thank you, God, for speaking to us through your scripture today and your scripture is life and we praise you for it. I'm going to pray this prayer of benediction and then Pastor Aubrey will lead us in worship but at the conclusion of this prayer you are dismissed uh, and, and God bless you in this day. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace through Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'll be here at the front if you want to say hello or pray. God bless you. You're welcome to continue to worship until you're ready to go. God bless you today.